Christianity can come to mean something that isn't actually uh, what Jesus intended. Uh, it can become just this moral code. It can become an affiliation with a church or a church group. It can become a system of do's and don'ts. And uh, so what we are kind of establishing into the core of the foundation of what it is that is being built here in Border City Church in our own lives is the truth of what Jesus actually, can I say, instituted, what he came to start, this thing called church and this faith that we started, what it actually is. And... Um, and uh, so two things that we've discussed. One is that uh, it is following Jesus. It's not just uh, mental assent to believing in some things. You can't follow Jesus without believing certain things about him, i.e. he's Lord, he is Savior, which is to say he's for my good, for my... But it's not just mental assent about things that about Jesus or about the Bible. It is following Jesus. That was his call to those who were disciples. Come, follow me. And then secondarily, in last week, we, we talked about this idea of uh, righteousness is we are made righteous by faith. That uh, it says that Abraham believed God against all natural information, all the stuff that would tell him what is going to happen. If you remember the story, he was told that he would not only have a child, but his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. He's like 100 years old. His wife is 90. They still haven't gotten pregnant. Natural information would suggest, God, you're probably not right. I know you created the heavens and the earth, but on this one, I think you, you erred. And, uh, but he believed God, and the scripture says that the Lord accounted it to him as righteousness, righteousness being right standing. In other words, please hear me, what makes us right with God is not perfect behavior, it is belief. And belief is not just, again, mental assent. Belief means placing your confidence. Uh, in fact, can I ask you right now, can you lift your feet up off the ground right now? We're going to do a little ab exercise. Lift your feet off the ground. You right now are placing your confidence in the chair. If that chair doesn't do what you're expecting it to do, you will fall and your cossacks may be broken, right? That is what faith is. Faith, believing in God means believing, trusting in you. Put your feet down now. Can now your knees to your chest. No. That's what faith is. It's placing your confidence, the weight of your life upon Jesus. That is what makes us righteous. That is what we're called to do. You can go to church all you can want, you can tithe, you can pray, you can do all of that stuff. At the end of the day, this is what Jesus, this is where it all happens. It's the heart, and with the heart, man believes. So we're going to pick up where we left off this past week, because all of this would beg the question, if faith and what Jesus started is all about believing in him, then hearing him, Knowing what he's saying is critical to me walking in faith. And so it begged the question, how do I hear him? And that's what we're going to discuss over the next couple of minutes. It's just some pointers, some tips from my life on hearing God. Some basic fundamentals that will help us kind of shoot our trajectory into, an, into a, an area where we can, as John David said, be in his presence and hear him. How many of you want that? 
This is where life is, my friends. It is in the presence of God, hearing Him. And so, first off, right time, right place. What do we mean by that? If you look with me to uh, John chapter 10, verse 27. Right time, right place. We want to hear God. We want to follow Jesus. The call that He has given to us, as important as prayer is, a prayer life, is that in and of itself, doing that alone is not what He's called us to. As important as what we're doing right now. And some of us have, have rightly said, well, you know, church isn't, um, it's not about Sunday morning meetings, it's not about a building. And so we've kind of just thrown that out with the bathwater because of all the crud that we've seen in church. However, church, as in the gathering, the family, the connectedness, the relationship of God will always be the purpose of God, not only in this world, but in the, in the world to come. So all these things that we can do, go to church, we can pray, none of those things are in and of themselves the thing. It's hearing Jesus, and to hear him, we need to be in the right time in the right place. I can't, I can't have faith in what he's saying unless I know what he's saying. I can't follow him unless I know where he's going. And so I need to experience him and have that relationship, that spiritual connectedness when I'm sensing that. So John chapter 10, 20, verse 27, I want to say this, is investing your time into your intimacy, your connection with Jesus. There's something about investing time into doing that. In John uh, 10, 27, Jesus says this profound statement, My sheep hear my voice. How many of you would describe yourselves as sheep of Jesus? This is what Jesus says to you. If you have declared him to be your shepherd, the one that you're following, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so investment of time is a reality in this world that we're familiar with that translates right over into relationship with Jesus, with God. In the same way, if I want intimacy with this beautiful lady right here, there is a necessity, a requirement that I need to invest time in connecting with her. And it's in that investment of time spent with her that I become, become familiar with her heart. And, and over a period of time, I know exactly what Minda thinks. I can be talking to Kurt and he's thinking about this thing and that thing, and as I'm listening, I'm thinking what, how it hits me, and I can already know this is how it's going to hit Minda. Why? I've spent time with her. I know the way she ticks. I know her values. I know, et cetera, et cetera. Do you understand what I'm saying? I remember when I first became a Christian, Father Lopez asked the question, do you know Jesus like you know your best friend? And I realized, oh my gosh, there's no way that I know Jesus anywhere close to I know my best friend. The whole idea being that I know my best friend. I know the way he ticks. I know what he thinks. I know what's going to make him laugh. I know what's going to make him tell me I'm a dork. I, you know what I'm saying? You know him by virtue of spending time with him. It is the exact same thing. So do, do you need to clock in and clock out? No, that's not what we're saying. You don't like do this thing. However, let's not be so super spiritual as to say that time spent. I've got a date this Thursday night with this lady because time spent in this relationship, I know you've got to sow into that in order to reap what we're wanting as far as connectedness and relationship. In our marriage, it's the exact same thing. Invest time. You spend time with the shepherd, you become familiar with the voice. He knows you and you know them and you, him and you follow him. I remember when I was, um, first became a Christian, it was the summer of 1997, and when I say that, that freaks me out. 
That was 21 years ago. Like, that's like last week. But anyways, that's another story. I, uh, I became a Christian. Many of you know the story. I kind of had my first experience with community of believers, first year of college, freshman year. I went home for the summer, and for, we'll get spare the details, I didn't have a car for that summer, and so I was stuck in my parents' condo. And uh, I could walk to work. I worked at Domino's Pizza, just in case you want to know. But other than that, all my friends, my old friends, were going to the parties, getting drunk, doing all that stuff. And the more they kind of saw the way I was living, the less they were coming out and inviting me to come because they kind of felt like I didn't fit into their thing anymore. So I was like, with, I had my family and Jesus. Now, it sounds pathetic, right? And to some degree, maybe it was kind of pathetic. However, that was such a critical period in my life. It was an extended summer. It was four months because my university was transferring from uh, quarter to semesters. And so that, to make up the difference, they had to make it a long summer, four and a half months. And I was praying, spending time. If I wasn't working, I was spending time just seeking God, seeking the Word. You know what happened as a result of that? Other than cutting my hair no longer looking like a hippie and, and all those kinds of things so that she would be attracted to me. Uh, what happened as a result of that was I became familiar with the voice of my Savior. And I can't understate that. I became familiar, I became aware of the Word of God to where I was able to discern false doctrine from truth. Not because I, I've got all my doctrine right in my head, but because I know Him. I've studied him. I've sought him. I've been receiving what he's saying to me and implementing it and integrating it into my life. I've become familiar relationally with him. Right time, okay? Let's start about place. Be in the right place. So in Genesis chapter 1, creation of, of, of creation, Genesis chapter 1, it says that in the beginning, um, God created the heavens and the earth, and it describes... That the, 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 there were seas, there was, it was formless and void, and that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. You familiar with this passage of Scripture? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I want you to get this picture. And God said, let there be light. And so what you see in Genesis in the early creation is the Spirit of God... And the word of God, what proceeds out of his mouth, coming together and that bringing forth life. Are you catching that? What are the two elements? Spirit of God, word of God. What is the right place, so to speak, to develop your familiarity with the voice of God? It's the spirit of God. In other words, spiritual fellowship with him and the word of God. And yes, that does mean the Bible, as well as what the spirit of the Lord witnesses in your spirit of, of what he's saying to you right now, the, the, the written scriptures, the spirit of God and the word of God. That is how creation began. That is the foundation of, of God's kingdom, his spirit and his word. If we want to be close to him, it's, it gets down to those two things. That's how we hear him, the spirit and the word. And so um, one little tip. For anybody ever read the Bible and found it boring and it didn't really work? Awesome, awesome, okay. Can I give you a tip? One tip. We're going to actually mention a couple of tips on how to uh, kind of take that to another level. I want you to write this down if you're interested. Facts, learn, listen. Facts, learn, listen. It's a little tip that we actually showed a few weeks ago in Bible study. 
So here's what I, I mean by that. I've been doing this for the past couple weeks. You take a passage of scripture that you're reading. Maybe it's a chapter of the Bible. Maybe it's a passage of scripture. I usually just read a few verses each day of what I'm, what I'm having to be studying. And then I'll, you write down facts, learn, listen. And so facts, go through and write down what are the facts of what you just wrote. Jesus was going to Caesarea Philippi. Number two, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, dot, dot, dot. Number three, Jesus, you know, what happened in that passage of scripture? What are the facts? And then when you're done with that, it's something about integrating this even mentally. It's an amazing thing to do. It's, I mean, I've, I've studied the Bible for over two decades and had wonderful times. And this has, been, this has unlocked so much for me personally. And then after you're done jotting down the facts, then you write learn. And you ask yourself the question, is there a spiritual principle that can be learnt from those facts? Is there a spiritual principle that can be derived? It doesn't have to be God spoke this thing to me. It's just mentally thinking through what is the spiritual principle that one could derive out of these facts. And you write that down. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, whatever it is. And then on that, once you've kind of thought through what are the spiritual principles of this passage, then listen. And that's where you just shut your eyes and you focus on the presence of Jesus and you make it communion with him. You make it relational with him. Lord, what are you saying? How does this apply? You sit there and just enjoy his presence, connect with him, and allow that word to penetrate into your own heart and you write down whatever you feel applies to you. I'm I can't guarantee you, but an open heart, God will speak to you if you, if you do that. Facts, learn, and listen. You may be asking the question, how can we develop in our spiritual connection? You know, that's about how we develop a relationship with the Word of God. What about the Spirit of God? Can you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Another way we can look at what we're about to talk about, we talk about time and place, but what do you do in that time and place? How do you approach it? You look at one of my favorite passages of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. It says this, I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, but their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. We're going to pause there, talking about a veil. Anybody ever seen a veil before? I'm going to pick on Minda again, because I've been referencing her often, that I married her and she was wearing a veil on the day that I, that I met her. And when a woman in a wedding ceremony wears a veil, you can see an image through that veil of what the person looks like, but it's in the unlifting of the veil that you see kind of in technicolor the the nuances and the specific direction and, and shape of the face and, and all those more fine details. And you follow what I'm saying? So the veil gives you an image, whereas the lifting of the veil reveals in technicolor. And that's what Paul is saying, is that there was a veil on the hearts of people in the reading of the Old Testament, the reading of Moses. There was an indication of the image of God, what he's like, but in Christ, He's saying the veil becomes lifted. We don't just hear about God. We encounter him. We see him. And, and it goes on to say in verse 15, 
Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Here's the critical verse right here. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Where is the veil lying? On the heart. And when one turns, when what turns? When one turns to the Lord, one what? When the heart turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. Now let's look at what happens when that happens. Now the Lord is the Spirit. We're talking about spiritual connectedness. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, that veil having been lifted, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This whole idea is that as we connect with Him, with our heart turned towards Him, a veil is lifted and we see Him, and guess what the result is? You become what you behold. If I hang around certain people, guess who I'm going to start acting like? Those people. Is that not true? Fellowship with God, communion with Him, will result in seeing Him, hearing His voice, hearing His values, hearing His thoughts and His perspective, will begin to transform you and your life into looking like Him. Valuing what He values, living, in fact, in the way that He does through the Spirit of the Lord. So I had the privilege of uh, being trained recently, as I've referenced in times past, Keller Williams, uh, uh, Metro and, and the number one training organization in the country says this training magazine in, in 2017 and they have this ignite class is what they call it it is to ignite new realtors into profit making engines is what ultimately is the, is the goal and, uh, and so I had this um, really amazing trainer her name was Sherry Swift now there's some people who kind of didn't like her because she's a little intense and uh, you know what I mean? She's a little, a little, she's pushy. She's kind of a pushy salesperson. But by the time I was in this Ignite class, and I am going to tie this back into what we're talking about, if you're wondering. I'm talking about real estate again. What's this? Just, just listen. As I'm in this Ignite class, by the time I'm there, I had put my eggs in the real estate basket. I mean, I'm trusting in Jesus, but like I had chosen, this is the direction that we're going. It's sink or swim. I need to make this thing happen. I've got this lady and these two boys under my responsibility, this, this has to happen. I don't care what Sherry Swift's personality is like. If she's successful, I'm receiving. And I'm going to learn whatever I can from this thing. So as I'm sitting there, I, honestly, I am like, even though I've been in related fields before, I'm treating this like, you teach me. I'm going to do whatever you say unless it like conflicts completely with my values or something. I'm going to put in practice what you're saying because you're successful and I need to learn. So my heart turned to the teacher. And in so doing, I grasped and learned. And I was talking to my friend Reggie, you know, Reggie Perryman. Um, you know him, right? OK. Um, Reggie Perryman, and he's like, you know, probably out of like that whole class, there's probably like five people who were like new realtors who actually made it and are like still practicing now. And like, you're, you, you're doing the thing. Now, I'm not bragging about me. Please don't hear me. What I'm saying is it's that thing of I need, so you've got my ear, you've got my heart. I need to know what you're saying. My eggs are in your basket. It's sink or swim. I need to know what you're saying. You are the one with the words of eternal life. 
There's something about turning your heart posture in that way that opens up the veil to where we actually see and hear the Lord. So, ultimately, what are we talking about with this whole passage of Scripture? It's all about accepting divine revelation. In other words, God is speaking. It's when one turns their heart to the truth that has been presented to them and receives it. The veil becomes lifted and we, and we, and we connect and we see more. So lastly, if we can say this, one last thing that I just want to insert in there is uh, we turn our hearts worshipfully what else do we do? We seek his will over our own. I know that overlaps with the last concept that I just said, but this is vitally important. It is our unwillingness to hear the will of the Lord that keeps us from discerning what he's saying. It is the obstruction. And why do we not hear what he's saying? Why are we unwilling to hear what he's saying? We can say it's selfishness, it's pride, it's all of those things. It is, but you know what it really is? It's not knowing who He really is. He is good. Fully. And the more we taste and see the Lord is good, the more we begin to learn, I am not good like Him. He is good. I would rather follow him, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's scary. I know he is good. That is the foundation of the gospel. Jesus on a cross, sacrificially for you and me, for our benefit, proving that he is good to us before we do anything for him. And he's also resurrected and all-powerful. It's good to know it's both. He's good, he's love, and he's all-powerful. And as we understand that, we can open up our heart to seek his will over our own. Why? Because his will, when first revealed, will be challenging to us. I love that about Christianity, by the way. There's, whereas the devil kind of coerces and tricks you into something, Jesus tells you right on the front end, here's what it is. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me daily to be my disciple. He puts it all there right on the front. And it's crazy. And it, and it makes you make a decision. Do I believe he's Lord or not? No gray area. Lord at all or Lord not at all. And, we, and as we uh, turn our heart to the Lord and, and, and actually understand his goodness, we can seek his will over our own. John 7, 17, we'll end here. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. What's Jesus saying there? The way to know good theology, you know what it is? It is not to go to seminary. I'm not downing seminary, but I'm saying that that in of itself. In fact, do you know how many deceived people come out of seminary? It is not even to be diligent to read the scripture for an hour. I mean, down in the Bible Belt where I lived for a good period of time, I knew people who were like, evil, like nothing short of evil people who had this weird practice of reading the scripture and using it to twist into their weird racist theology. Reading the scriptures alone won't do it. What, what causes us to discern doctrine is having a will to do his will. Choosing, just like Sherry Swift, I don't, I don't know, you do, I'm going to hear you. 
I am able to discern and really grasp from what she was teaching me. Same thing with Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing. You do. I will to do your will. And there's something about that heart posture that causes us to be able to discern. That's not Jesus. That is Jesus. And the longer, the more steps of faith you take, the more familiar that voice becomes. And you begin to become familiar. That's not Jesus. This is Jesus. And, uh, and you walk down this incredible path of him leading you. How many of you want that? That's what I want. That's what I think Detroit needs. He needs Jesus, not all of our benevolent good intentions. We need to have his benevolent good intentions. That's what love Detroit. That's it's really what we have to offer. We're offering hot dogs and friendship and all that kind of stuff. That's cool. Ultimately, it's Jesus, and that stems not from how great Border City Church is, from each of us connecting and being led by and knowing Jesus. In fact, I failed to say this about NCMI earlier. What, what is what we do? It's knowing Christ and making him known. That's it. Yeah. And I would say that the same for us. Knowing Jesus, making him known. That's it. 